This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. The Talk Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you win. Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Back of the Nest. Match Review Podcast. www.backofthenest.com Hello and welcome to Back of the Nest. My name is Chris Hambling and Back of the Nest is recorded in front of a live studio audience. It isn't, isn't that's all. Anyway, this week we'll be looking back at Palace's 3-1 defeat in Sellers Park against Manchester City, asking all the right questions and looking at a bit of your contact as well. We'll also be looking at some general topics that have occurred to us or you during the course of the week. Uh, my panel will be DR, Mike and me, of all things, imagine it. And uh, we'll be back after this short message. Back of the Nest, Match Preview Podcast. The Preview Pod is back. Handball can't relax. Yes, that's the Preview Podcast team is back on Thursday. And this week we will be building you up to our trip to the Emirates where we face Arsenal. It's about time we won now. Okay, welcome back after that short break, um, which, let's face it, to those of us recording the podcast was 45 minutes ago. Uh, so um, <laughs> you have no idea what we've been through. But um, thanks to the magic of editing for you, you won't have to go through the pain we went through. So let's have a quick chat with my panel. We've got to start with you, Dr. Kerners. So I don't really know what happened uh, pre-show, um, but I can give an indication of what did. If you just wait for a second, you will have the right reply. So initially you said this. I'm here. I can hear you. I can hear. I, the thing I don't understand is I can hear you through my laptop, and I, my my mic is in and it's working. It's on, but somehow it's not working on the laptop. Apparently, it's not working on ZenCaster, and I don't know what. So, dear, how uh, how did you feel at that moment? Well, if you actually look at the software that we're using, I didn't even spell my name right. And you can probably hear in my voice <laughs> how frustrated I am because uh, I lost my head. Apparently, I didn't. I wasn't even hearing you through my laptop. I was hearing you through my Bluetooth headphones, which were on. And ah, <laughs> uh, uh, let's just skip it. Let's just skip this. My yeah, intro, yeah, but yeah, you're, but you're, yeah, but yeah. So that just just to share, that is the longest we've ever had to wait to start recording a podcast. So little glimpse behind the behind the curtain or the magician's cloth or whatever you want to call it. 
but we tried to start recording at 8 p.m. And we've actually begun the proper recording at 8.53. So uh, thanks. Yeah, it's all right. It's all right. But we've also got Mike. Hello. I literally cannot remember a time before we were waiting to start this podcast. <laughs> I, I finished the beer that I had. I was going to be good this evening, have one beer. Uh, I polished that off, realised I only had John Smith's less in the fridge, made myself a black Russian, and I've nearly polished that off as well. So I think we better get on with it. I'm surprised Hambo didn't crack. I was just laughing. I thought you were just murdering me by now. You'll be at my front door. Oh, I've got... I've gone, I've gone past the rage, and I'm right the way through to the hilarity. The problem is that it goes back through rage again. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. <laughs> well, you know, I've also got a beer in hand, which also helps. So, hey, you know, it's um, so obviously we're here to talk about a variety of uh, topics from the week, but specifically around the defeat against Manchester City. Not a surprise, of course, that we lost that game. But before... We dive into that, just a couple of bits and pieces. Uh, an email we got from Pete Trainer, uh, who was um, saying some very nice things uh, about the show, which is really appreciated. But he also wanted to bring uh, the next CPFC walk away for mental health uh, to our attention. Um, so you'll all remember, hopefully, when um, we had Paul and Lee on, who uh, they were on the Love Sports show, but we also publicised it on the main show. And they had a walk from Craven Cottage uh, to Sellhurst. I think it was back the other way, actually. Was it Sellhurst to Craven Cottage? I can't remember. No, Craven Cottage to Sellhurst. That was on, um, um, well, so on Easter Sunday. I can't remember when that was exactly, when we played Fulham. But that on Easter Sunday, uh, they're marching away to Highbury from Sellers Park for the Arsenal match. Um, so... Uh, we'll, we'll try and pop something up on Twitter. And of course, if you go to the official cpfc.co.uk site, in the news section, there's also an article on that giving you more details about this walk and the, the fans raising awareness of mental health issues, which, as I've said, I think we talked about last week, we, we do occasionally talk about those on this show. And it's extremely important that people are brave enough to talk about mental health issues. Uh, and in particular, I know that the, the initial walk started because of of Lee's who Lee who's it's Lee Adams who was a who is a Fulham fan and he wanted to raise awareness specifically around male suicide which is um, at quite disturbing levels so brilliant um, to get that email from Pete and we all sort of give a huge shout out to Pete's son Charlie um, I think he's on his uh, second year as a season ticket holder he's age nine um, and he's um, yeah, no, it's his, sorry, it's his second walk. It's on his second season ticket. Don't know how long he's had a season ticket. I've got that information for you. <laughs> but his second walk, um, 26 miles for the club, the cause, and for the fans. Uh, his dad's very proud of him. And Charlie, we're proud of you too. And can I just say, at nine years old, I'm very sorry if there's any bad language on this show today. Uh, mainly it'll come from Mike, but possibly me because of how angry I am at DR. So let's see what happens this week. But um, really do appreciate uh, that contact from Pete. And obviously, best best wishes to you guys for the walk. Uh, brilliant, brilliant cause. Let's delve straight into our first topic. Um, and we're going to talk about the fact there was a rumour in the papers uh, about Palace wanting to sell Christian Benteke. Uh, but he's also considering down running, considering running down his contract, uh, expiring um, next year in 2020. And also part of that rumour as well involves Jordan Ayew joining the club in a, in a £4 million deal. Um, 
But let's start with the uh, the Benteke stuff, uh, gentlemen. So for me, it's good to talk about Christian Benteke after he started the game against Man City. Took some stick and, and still taking stick on um, Twitter for the fact he's not scoring goals. But, you know, a lot of the people I follow and res- respect were talking about what a decent game he had and how well he, he led the line in some very difficult circumstances. You're going to be a long, lonely game when you're the, uh, the sole player up top um, playing against Man City, being, your job being... Winning those headers, flicking the ball onto the nearest player, which can be quite some distance away, and just generally trying to hold up the ball and, and keep it at that end of the pitch. And um, I thought he played pretty well. Yeah, I thought he played. A, he had a good game as well, and apart from scoring. But then again, it's a similar thing to Batshuayi that we saw in Benteke, where when he did have the ball and um, he didn't have it a lot of the time, it, he was a bit isolated. And the difference between Batshuayi and him uh, was that Batshuayi he just he has that speed um, to to run ahead of the midfield and defenders and just get that one chance which he could finish off. That's why he's got a couple of goals. But what we saw from Benteke is that his hold up play was brilliant um, and he was bringing others into the game. But at times, even even when he did have the ball, there was no one around him, so there was nothing really he could do, which was very disappointing. But I was not surprised about that because, as I said with Batshuayi. We've seen that already with strikers at Palace. So, um, and overall, if I were looking at him, he'll probably be—he was probably one of the best players. But then again, he could have done better if he had the sport. The pace of the game seemed to be dictated by Man City the whole time, and they were in the mood for walking, like proper walking football. Um, there was times where literally it could have been actual walking football. So it did feel like it suited Benteke a little bit more because we were we didn't have any of those sort of lightning fast breaks, a couple of couple of runs from Townsend, but didn't go anywhere. But otherwise it, it was fairly um sort of pedestrian moves forward. And it does suit him because um, you know, he can hold up the ball. Uh I, I so it, it did look as though he chose the right striker for the game but you sort of saw when he brought Saka on towards the end that he was after someone pegging it into space as well um, and I suppose that's that's the trade-off you get with Benteke you're not going to get that certainly is and I do think that's a really good point about uh, Man City and, and their lack of pace apart from when they needed it of course with yeah usually Raheem Sterling providing that pace um, after a you know a through ball from De Bruyne and what have you so I think that's that's a really good uh, thing to observe because, you know, it's, it seems to me like it's, it was a, a game plan for uh, City to just to counter the the threat that we had. If you look at the game we played against them at the Etihad and how we caught them, it was clear that, you know, everyone knew how we were going to approach that. We we're going to approach it exactly the same. And there's certainly no criticism from me for Roy doing that. But you just had that little tweak from Guardiola, which he can do because he has the resources available to him. And he's a very, very good coach. And he was able to tweak their their style just to negate that threat, that little bit extra, slow things down, stop us being able to break. Most importantly, just cutting off all the supply so they just retained all of that possession once more. And if they restricted us to next to no chances, we we weren't really gonna uh, gonna be sort of in the game other than keeping it tight. And they you know they took theirs unfortunately. Um, just quickly going back at Benteke and the rumours of him actually being sold um, potentially in the summer. Um, I wonder how much a club actually value him if he is on the transfer list and whether other clubs will pay. Because even though he hasn't scored the goals and um, his form, has, as you can see, 
if you look at his uh, form under Roy Hodgson, he hasn't been that great and he seems like his confidence isn't there, even though since he has come back from this latest injury, it's slowly building up. Um, it'll just be, I think it's, it's interesting. And if we don't get, let's say, a good 20 million for him, even though he has high wages, I don't think we should necessarily sell him because if you actually look at the strikers under Hodgson um, when he's been at England, the highest scoring uh, player was... Odin Wing at West Brom, 11 goals. And then at Liverpool is Dirk Kite, which he was, uh, Hodgson got sacked in January, which was 15. And the best one is Bobby Zamora, 19. But if you actually look at it, each year, each club, he goes down and down. So I feel like it's more of a Hodgson issue rather than a Benteke one. As even though Batshuayi's got them goals, we still haven't played to his strength. So I wouldn't really look at selling Benteke. I mean, in terms of asset amount, say that they did have 20 million. That's, I've, I've heard people say that. I'm not sure it's grounded. But with each month that goes on, the fact that his contract expires in just over a year, you know, he's going to be worth very, very little. So really, he'd have to go in this window because by January, he's going to be worth very negligible amounts. Um, and he knows his, his sort of weekly wages are going to be through the roof if he tries to if he tries to keep it, uh, stay till the end of his contract and go on a free. So um, I think it's kind of in Palace's interest that they, they're going to have to get what they can for him because otherwise they're staring down the barrel of, of losing what would be a serious amount of asset money on their sheets. Yeah, I think, you know, I, I think the club will, will obviously look at retaining him. But I think the trouble with that is you need to retain him at the level he's currently playing at. You know, I, I still have a, a belief that with the right, you know, situation coming together with the right players around him, he could still be effective at this level. He's not a He's not a bad player, and he's all round game. When you watch, you know, watch how he played against Man City, he's all round game's really good. But he will forever be judged on goals as a striker by the majority of supporters, whether we play to, to that level or not. And all the while, when he does get chances, he misses them, like like he has of late. Um, that becomes a kind of a self perpetuating situation. And look, it's very, very difficult. I, I would like to see him stay, but at the very least, the club has to try and try to keep him. Um, in my view. Um, because I don't know really what else is out there for the kind of money we want to spend. Well, funny you should say that because Hodgson seems to think we already have that player, doesn't he? Uh, if if the rumours <laughs> are true, uh, his his absolute top first signing, Jordan Ayew on a permanent. <laughs> I mean, this is the, this is this is the man that um, that was desperate to get Surloff in. So um, you know he's. What can you say about that? Four million, though, it's a bargain. Um, I'm, I'm not sure he'd be a, a like for like swap for Ben Teco, but um, interesting rumor. Yeah, I think with Jordan Ayew, he's a role player. He's not a starter, and you look at the price, four million. That's as you said, that's nothing. You look at how many, uh, how much players go for nowadays. It's just that's basically free. I know we're not, we're not in the greatest financial position, but we've seeing a goal or two from Ayu and he hasn't played for a while. Um, last time I think he played, he started anyways, was at Doncaster in FA Cup, which seems like ages ago right now. So I don't know. I've, I've seen I've seen enough of Ayu to say that he's worth four million. He's worth four million pounds, which sounds ridiculous. But you look at other options, that's it's probably the best one as a role player. 
you see you can get the old old goal to in like every six months four, yeah. four, four million will get you a two-bedroom flight in Ballin though wouldn't it so you know. <laughs> exactly so that's I that's think a bargain. potentially at times a, a two-bedroom flight in Ballin would have had more effect on the game but um that is a little bit that is a joke oh, that is a joke that, because I was actually about to say um that I was relatively impressed with IU when he when he seemed to settle get that have that little run of a couple of goals but he played some he just worked incredibly hard and sometimes that's um you know that's worth well in this in this market that's worth four million quid uh to have that as an option in your team um but yeah certainly you'd want to want to see much more end product from him if we were to sign him um but again I suppose he has to be in the team for that to happen um so I think it's a good opportunity in this topic to jump to your um your selected listener contact question dr which of course was uh, Roy was suggesting in his interview that Benteke was playing ahead of Batshuayi because Benteke is our player and Batshuayi is a loney and seemingly that's us not really in the, the market to sign him. So uh, that was from Mr. Cabri's parrot. So what were your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think it makes sense because we've stayed up now pretty much. I know mathematically we're not safe, but it'll be a miracle if we go down at this point. And there's no need to play Batshuayi because results don't matter as much. I mean... Top 10 finish, it's very, very unlikely to happen. Um, we've talked about it before. Every Premier League position matters. But if you look at it, there's nothing really to lose. And if you're trying to solve Benteke in the summer, it makes sense to play him because you want to show other clubs. If you can't get an odd goal or two, it could boost up his value just by a little bit. And that will matter. So it makes sense. I think we should start Benteke from now on to the end. And him coming off the bench, he has deserved to start as well because he has impacted games when he has come on lately it's a really good point um and also but whether it whether it you know again we're talking about it setting the the kind of setting the tone for the rest of the season and I, you know i think it probably does for exactly the reasons that dr's indicated there but i think perhaps it also sets the tone and shows you really what we're going to be looking at in the summer why i think you know the realistic chances of signing batshuai are pretty low especially given how we play and how he plays. I think the goals, obviously, he scored are extremely important and he's obviously a very, very good forward. But you see how we're approaching games against the majority of opponents, particularly at home. And he's unfortunately not going to be particularly effective in those games because you don't really want him playing with his back to goal, trying to win headers against centre-backs. He's not that type of player. You know, he, he can do a job, but... You know, if you're going to have someone that's going to cost the sort of money that Batshuayi costs, you have to really sort of style how you play to get the best out of him. And I can't really see us doing that. I feel like it sets the tone for, for Hodgson to say that publicly. It sets the tone for um, loan signees going forward. Because if, if Batshuayi costs three million plus extras and they're now happy to not play him, um, you wonder whether they thought maybe this isn't the best value way of 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 taking things on, and it's a, it's a sort of it's a last ditch solution to problems, which obviously we had because we didn't have a fit striker at the time. But um, it does seem to me for him to say that publicly that they're not planning to do that too often. No, for sure. All right, we'll uh, we'll dive into our, our second topic, which is about the Man City game, but some general kind of formation stuff uh, before we delve into the actual match itself. And Mike, this was one of yours. So, you know, your question really is what were the reasons Man City had so much joy down the flanks? Um, was it how we set up? So, so again, so we'll start with your thoughts on that, if we may. 
Yeah, so standing behind it, soon realised that the back four, um, when Man City had the ball, were all defending inside the 18-yard box, um, which, you know, they've done a few times before, but it, it was very noticeable. So at times, we were essentially a back six. Um, but before Schlupp went off injured, what was really noticeable to me, because PVA was stuck in that kind of situation where he wasn't actually out towards towards the, the the sideline at all. He was he was in the box. There was this enormous gap. Um and Schlupp didn't appear to be covering it very well, whereas Townsend was covering um outside of Wambisaka like an absolute trooper. So once Kuate came on and that was plugged up a bit, um, you know, the the real quality from Sane down the other side came and it did look as though they were having a bit more trouble getting through. Um, so to an extent, it felt like the negative tactics kind of backfired. Um, I mean, they, they've they've done him well in the past and I'm not criticising them. You know, if it had stayed nil-nil, um, the longer it went on, I'm sure it would have been very effective. But it had to go to plan B fairly quickly. And it did seem because he, he, he'd set up a sort of back six. Um, and it, it did seem a little bit odd to me. Good, yeah. I would I wouldn't even say it was a plan B. It was just a matter of just swapping Kreate for Jeffrey Schlupp and just Kreate being a better player. I was kind of surprised that Kreate didn't start in the first place. And I've said this before with so many other games. Um, but then I looked at our last victory at the Etihad um, and Kreate didn't start then. So I understood it to a certain extent. But so saw him yesterday. He came on and straight away impacted the game because even though he's a big big person like physically he can still he's still got the football abilities to run past plays and also track back and defend so hopefully this shows Roy that Kuyate is actually better than Jeffrey Schlupp or James McArthur for that extent just one of them so you have to start Kuyate ahead of one of them yeah I, I certainly get the, the, the point on that um, you know I was frustrated with Jeffrey Schlupp for my usual reasons um, which are and, and it turned out to be quite unfair but he has this tendency of taking a challenge and just not getting up and not breaking his neck to get back. And I think the position that he plays, you cannot do that because most most of the time he's playing on the left, okay, more central than as a, as a winger, but he's out there and he's supposed to be offering protection to Van Aanholt, who, let's face it, particularly this season, has been a weakness and, and does have a weakness defending. Um, so when we're we're asking Van Arnholt to sort of almost tuck inside and not even play his natural game, it's all the more important that the player on that side is giving that kind of support. Now it was unfair because he was actually injured in the challenge that made me really really angry. So um, <laughs> on this occasion, I have to let him off <laughs> to a point. Although those in our, our back of the nest chat will know what I actually said about him feigning injury, and I, I would feign injury if I was that terrible. But I, oh, I did. I, I was angry at the time. I'm take it back. I'm sorry, Jeff. I don't mean it. But um, that's why I don't post immediately immediate emotional reactions on Twitter because, you know, I say horrible things that I don't really mean. Yeah, we all do. <laughs> we all do. But, you know, for, for me, you, you said the, the, you know, the point that you said is, is exactly it for me. And that is Coyote is a better midfielder than Jeffrey Schlupp. And he's a better midfielder currently than, than James MacArthur. Um, and I think Roy has the players that he trusts and he believes in to do the job. And you have to respect that because that's his right and he's a very experienced uh, manager and he, he should be making those right decisions but for me there comes a time where you have to look at 
what the players are giving you week in, week out. Um, as much as Jeffrey Schlapp has had some very, very strong games for me, you know, he is a a left back slash left midfielder who started life as a striker, who's now being asked to play in central midfield. Clearly, the coaching staff rate him there, but personally, I would rather see a, a proper midfielder play there. He wasn't the only person not not tracking back, and I, again, I think it comes down to the sort of infectious nature of Man City's walking paced football. Um, you saw Sterling get back when he had to pegging it back, but then at other times walking. Um, there was plenty of times it seemed to me that usually players that get back and really make challenges, including Zahar, weren't doing that because there was this kind of infectious, slow paced feel to the game that just totally played to Man City and didn't play to us. So I don't think Schlupp was the only one responsible. I think it's his, his usual natural um, lack of awareness of, of sort of things going on behind him, combined with PVA's sort of natural, not not quite as strong as other players' ability to be in the right position at the right time, um, made things difficult. And obviously, Kiwato made it look better. And, and he played much more of a, this horrible phase, but a box-to-box game, you know, you saw him, at times being the, the, the most further forward player on the pitch. So, um, yeah, it did seem a little bit weird that Kuwaiti didn't come on, but I would have thought now he might be playing a few more games. But also, it's not, it didn't, doesn't shirk a challenge. And I've, that's what I've really missed this season in, in how we've played. I don't think there's enough players who are... I don't think it's a, there's no lack of commitment, don't get me wrong. But I don't think we're... It's, again, it's, it's such a glib way of putting it. And I... And I but I, I can't put it any other way. We're just not tough enough. We're not. We're not fighting enough. We're not nasty enough. We're not. You know that for a while, and even in our best years, those that are, are old enough to remember, you know, when we finished third in the league under Koppel, that was that team was was pretty nasty as, as well as being talented. You know, they intimidated the opponents. There's nothing about that in Palace. You know, even even Luca, who will put a challenge in and will take a yellow card. And is a fantastic midfielder. You know, again, he he still lacks that kind of real intensity that, that we've kind of cra- craved as Palace fans for quite some time. At least I certainly have. And I suppose that's probably what worries me the most about uh, how we've played of late. Not that I'm saying it guarantees better results. There's a lot of there's a lot of arguments about that. You know, we've talked over the last few weeks in, in you know, quite negative terms, really, about how we're approaching games and. That's not to say that we have we're saying we've got all the answers and that what we think would give us better results. For all we know, what we think would give us far worse results. So there's a and there's a bit of that lesson to learn against against Man City as well. I don't want I mean to sound like I think that any of them were shirking challenges or shirking their responsibility. Um, but you know, when a game plays out in front of you like it does, you know, you you end up if if the opposition who aren't very physical themselves play at that pace it's going to be infectious and that happens you know it happens at work if you're if everyone else is being lazy on a Friday afternoon and not doing any work you're not going to be the one standing there doing tons and tons of work at double pace it just doesn't it doesn't oh, am, I, that way. am I not Mike am I not uh, other than you obviously <laughs> other, than, other you. than me yeah but just quickly going back on that I think this season we've always seen this phrase out. I remember after the Brighton game, after the Watford game, that we're not tough enough. But if you actually look at the way we play, we can't really be tough because we just sit back. It's not like we go and attack uh, midfielders and try to get the ball out, uh, out of them. They come to us. And then when they come to us, we try to challenge them. That's it. It's not like we run up to them. I think that style of football just 
makes us play the way that we do and that we can't be as tough and going into challenges like that because Roy has set, set us up to be disciplined and be in position. So I think that plays a part rather than the individual players not really being up to it. Yeah, for sure. I think that, that's, a, that's a good point. Um, and I think, again, that, that goes hand in hand with, with Mike's point about how the opponent were playing as well, which, again, is always something you have to consider when when analysing the games. You know, you, you are only looking at one team quite a lot, particularly, you know, when we're analysing Palace. And it's always important to remember what the opponent does um, that sometimes forces you to play a certain way or to, to abandon certain methods that have worked in the past. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theatres, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Okay, we'll dive a bit more into the match in just a moment, but I just want to take a quick minute to talk to ask the guys, have you seen Hiram Boateng's goal at, uh, at the weekend? Nope. I have not, and I feel like this is something that could have been brought to my attention before we started. The it, it just occurred yeah. to me because while you were rabbiting on, I was looking at Twitter like I usually do. Um, so oh, wow. he's, play, no, he's no. playing. He's playing. Um, <laughs> he's playing at Exeter City now, and it. You just got to look. You just just look up. Um, I think well, the account I'm currently looking at that's showing it is uh, Super Six, which I believe that's that Sky thing, isn't it? Um, and Basically, a long ball knocked forward to him on the edge of the far sort of left of the penalty area. As you look at it, he takes it on the chest. Uh, sorry, on the yeah on the chest, and then uses a foot to knock it over his head, and then a left foot to drill it into the goal. And it is absolutely outrageous. Check it out if you haven't seen it. I think if you just search the ESC FC hashtag, you'll almost definitely find it. I'll, I'll retweet it onto the back of the nest um, Twitter oh, now. Oh wow! It I've is, seen it. It is a wow. good go. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, what what that on was... earth was happening there? Um, That's what you get ter- when you ter- do Palace. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> terrific goal, really is. So a bit bit of pride there for the uh, for the ex Palace youth, and um, yeah, brilliant. Well, obviously, he was a very promising young player for us. Promising, I Sean Connery did. Um, <laughs> promising, my dear, young player. a promising player. Ah, <laughs> oh, dear. Right. Um, so let's jump back into the match after that minor diversion. And, uh, you know, we're talking a lot, a lot about the tactics. So I just really want to ask the question of you, gents, um, whether or not we feel that they were right. What were the things that we could have done differently um, if we to, to get any more out of that game? Was there anything that we could do? And was it understandable that we went for exactly the same tactics that got us such a good result at the Etihad? Um, the way that we were set up defensively, I think he was brilliant. Um, having that four-five-one, it was just Will and Andrew that was going back. So that aspect of the game, no problems because that we know that City 
are just they will just outclass us if we give them the freedom in midfield and the defense. So we'll set up perfectly then. But the one thing I was disappointed about and have been this season is the fact that whenever we got the ball, we just panicked. And one player that I'm going to pick out on, it might it may it might sound a bit harsh, was James MacArthur. I know we've talked about his ups and downs this season, but against Man City in possession. He just had too many panic moments and you just can't do that. We just couldn't control the ball as a result. Every time he had the ball, he would just you can't he just keep the ball for longer than he should. And City, they we've struggled under possession all season long, and City's just a different class. So you don't get that much time. And we lost the ball so many times. And I just don't understand it. Why can't we pass the ball and we're 34 games in? Or 33? I don't know. <laughs> where 34. Oh, faithful. Okay, yeah. I yeah, I think the thing that really got to me um, was there was much less coolness from defence, um, which comes from, I guess, comes from Dan and Kelly being in place of Sacco and Tompkins. Um, and first of all, you'd expect Sacco to be going to PVA. Make sure you're in the right position. Uh, it probably doesn't come from Kelly or Dan anywhere near as much. Um, but at the same time, you've got a coolness of passing from Sacco um, out to the likes of MacArthur that you just you just don't get from Kelly, you don't get from Dan. So I don't know how much of the midfield playing exceptionally deep um, and being under pressure came from uh, players missing. I, it's, it's really hard to say. I feel like the tactics were were decent, um, but they're a tactic that only really works if you're still nil-nil at half-time. Um, and the moment we went 1-0 down, I felt like they probably should have changed a bit quicker. I think the point, your point you're making is an, an interesting one. And sort of to go back to what DR was saying about MacArthur and in general how we panicked with the ball, the problem you have is, you know, it, it takes more than one person to make a pass. And you need to have more than, you need to have multiple options, basically. Um and it's very difficult to do when you're playing quite as compact as you are because the majority of your passing options are sideways or backwards. It's very difficult to make angles. And what Man City do, of course, is they high-press you. So all of a sudden, you've you've won the ball, you've intercept, it's intercepted or their cross has been cleared and it's come to your midfielder. What What's on for him? Because no one's going to be sprinting out of their position because they're so concerned with keeping a compact shape, preventing Man City from nicking the ball back and you know within one or two passes as we saw in the game within one or two passes they can absolutely destroy you so that that level of caution gives you that horrible situation where you're going to be a you know a James MacArthur or a Luca or Jeffrey Schlupp or a Coyote you're going to receive the ball with your facing your own goal and you're going to have a Manchester City player or two tearing at you and you're going to have next to no passes other than backwards where you're putting another member of your team in the same position close to your own goal. So it is an absolute nightmare unless you have a moment of skill or a moment of bravery where you're, where you're either your teammates or you have made yourself some space. And we did that on occasions. That's how we scored the goals we did at the Etihad. And that's how we had our moments, um, although they were few and far between at Selhurst. But... I don't. I don't know. I don't think there's an easy answer to that, um, particularly against Man City. Against some other teams this season, totally agree. But you know, what I mean, I'm, I'm not going to be negative about against about it against City. We we didn't have our first choice centre backs, um, so I think that had an impact. But more importantly, we just we were we were very deep, 
and we were finding it very, very tough to find options. I suppose the only argument I could come up with is to not drop back so deep. I think um, you've got a great point there, and that's one of the reasons why Benteke, you know, half the crowd said he, he looks so effective because if there's one man that can take the ball with his back to goal and hold on to it for a minute, it's him. Um, obviously, an absolute lack of anyone to play the ball to afterwards, which is why the other 50% weren't too impressed with what he was doing. But um, that 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 comes from playing probably the best team in the world. And let's not, let's not get away from the fact that they are amazing and they should beat us 99 out, times out of 100. But yeah, it was just it was just quality, as you said, Hambo. But at times, it's just whenever we had the ball, when we for a few seconds or a minute or something, we still made some silly uh, mistakes, and that was the disappointing thing. But apart from that, I'm not really that upset over the result or over the pressing. I think if we know what it is, it's just City. So let's um, let's move on and talk about the um, the centre backs. Um, um, this goes to uh, the contact that you received, Mike. So I'll hand over to you in a sec. But a lot of focus on PVA not staying with Sterling, um, which is rightly so. He should be criticised for that for the opening goal um, because he's got an awful lot more pace than Scott Dan has. Um, but, you know, we have to look at that that uh, the situation with Dan as well, Mark, don't we? Well, we, we do indeed. I mean, let's, let's be fair to the man. Um, he has... Uh, been injured for a long time and he's getting on and stuff uh but yeah jeff masterson thank you for getting in touch jeff and thank you for everyone else getting in touch um tons of contact as ever and we read everything and we try and get as much as we can on the show so thank you um he said seeing that scott dan's lack of speed is being exploited by opposition teams and is directly responsible for recent goals we've conceded should kuate be given a run at center half especially considering playing that he played there for west ham united um well, I think my my two cents on it, first of all, would be um, that we kind of need QRA in midfield as it is, um, as was shown, and especially if Schlupp ends up being injured for a bit longer. Um, my second thought would be we do have a player that costs us £8 million from Ajax, um, who's very good, who played uh, at centre-back, I believe, in a European Cup final called Jairo Riedeveld, that... Um, Nobody seems interested in ever having a play a game or being on the bench or anything like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, Scott Dan's not the the not the first uh, centre back to have a lack of speed, and it's not often an issue if if you've got the brains behind it to be in the right place. You know, lack of speed can be made up, and he, he is. Let's be honest, he is a second, well, second or third choice centre back. So I feel like he's a pretty solid choice um, when we need him. We, w- we wouldn't want him in the sides necessarily game in, game out. But it wasn't that long ago that Tompkins was considered to be his understudy. So it's quite hard to pinpoint exactly what's gone wrong um, other than he's getting on a bit. Well, the thing that's gone wrong is his injury. He's, he's coming back from a lengthy injury and you just have to be patient, really. That's pretty much it. It's not like he's had some time off and he'll get fast as a result. Scott Dan, first of all, wasn't the fastest player beforehand. He, but I don't think something has drastically changed. I think I feel like he still has the same pace that he had before his injury. But we're similar to Benteke. We're, we're not really playing for anything right now. And you want to bring back Scott Dan slowly because there was them rumours that he could potentially join Fulham. Um, I think that was in January. So there'll be clubs interested in him. And let's just say that we could get a good 10 million out of Scott Dan. And look at 
our financial looking at our financial position that won't be the worst thing to happen so i I'd just play scott dan um you know re, you mentioned reader world yes he's an option but there's there's no real need to change him because we're not really playing for anything and we're pretty much safe I've got to say, ten million quid for Scott Dan yeah. is way over the top, given given his injury. Oh, over age, the top! But, yeah. no. Wait, how old is he? What thirty-one? Is he? He's still, he's still thirty-one. Yeah, he's a great player. We're not I, seeing I the best out of him right now. Can't see us getting ten million for him, but um, I think that the the thing we're really missing um, is a leader, and I know that's a really generic term, but if you if you look at that, it was a ball that came over um, from a corner, and he had an excellent chance of heading it in. Benteke went up for the header. You can't blame Benteke. Scott Dan afterwards was holding his hands up going, why didn't you leave it for me? Clearly, he didn't make his voice loud enough to let Benteke know he's behind him. And if that kind of thing happens um, at the back, then he's not going to be doing the kind of um, the kind of work that Tompkins and Saka have been doing with their voice. And you hear people on TalkSport, old defenders and stuff, going on about how, you know, making sure... You, everyone knows where you are is a massive part of defending. Well, if if he can't do that, that is that's something that could easily be rectified, and that might be one of the reasons I think that he, he might be struggling a little bit. Well, there was a lot of talk of that when he was captain, wasn't there, about whether or not he was vocal enough. Um, and, and indeed, he was replaced as captain, wasn't he, by uh, Pancho? I think it was. If I, I don't know, I've got one. So um, yeah, and that was obviously something that was felt at the club as well. But hey, look. Scott, Scott Dan was incredible for us for a long period. I, I think he's still a very good centre-back, um, particularly as you, as you say, it's a third choice um, centre-back as well. He's a very good player to have in there. Um, and, and I think I would I would side with, with you on that, Mike, in, in the sense that you know a lack of pace isn't necessarily a problem if you play the right way. Um, and, and a lot of clubs playing against Man City, would experience their centre-backs being outpaced by Raheem Sterling. Um, so um, I don't want to actually, uh, you know, I, I think because we spent so long trying to start the recording of this show, we won't go on too much longer. So I don't think we'll get too much into the into the rest of the goals. But I do want to talk a little bit about looking at Raheem Sterling and, and looking at Wilfred Zaha and just talking a little bit about, you know, the directness and the, the end product that Sterling gets. You know, is there... Even though Sterling, I believe, is younger than Wilf by by a couple of years or so, is there a lesson there for Wilf um, in terms of playing more direct, backing yourself that bit more, getting you know getting into those areas, or is it much more about the fact that Sterling gets to play alongside such good players that he's not trying to do it all himself? Um, what, what are we seeing there? To be honest. I think the Sterling factor goes down to the manager and I'm not criticising Roy, but if you look at Sterling before Pep joined, he's not the player that he is right now. Um, Pep has transformed him to be that type of player. So I think that plays a big part. And Wilf could, of course, look at his game, but it won't be as easy. As you said, they've got brilliant players, uh, world-class players, and we simply haven't got that. Wilf is probably our best player then. Apart from that, that. There's no one really on Wilf's level right now. Um, you can argue Wan Bissaka, but that's that's really it as well. The players around him just are not up to that standard of football. But with Sterling, I think it's mainly due due to the manager. If you take their first goal, which, as far as I remember, was an absolutely incredible ball from De Bruyne, which you know I don't think that anyone in the Palace side could probably replicate, or if they did, it wouldn't happen very often. Um, 
Wilf just not going to get that kind of service. And there's a couple of times he got the ball down the left, um, and he was he's back to goal. Suddenly surrounded by players because we were playing at a particularly slow pace, the same as the rest of the game was was being played. Um, and you kind of heard a groan from the crowd when he lost the ball. But he's made this point before. He says sometimes people think that I'll be able to do magic tricks, and he's still a player. You know, every everyone playing against him is still an amazing professional footballer. They're going to be able to get the ball off him more often than not, and. Any player, including Sterling, who's in that position, he's not going to be able to produce that much. So I'm not sure we can compare the two because the the, the kind of product that's come in Sterling's way compared with what's come in Zahar's way is totally non-comparable. I, I would like to bring up one more thing that uh, Nick of this Paris said his daughter noticed, um, that Sterling, when he's running very fast, runs just like a velociraptor. Um, and... I when I watched back the highlights to make sure I'd remembered everything, spot on. So Nick's daughter, excellent work, excellent work. Um, and also, any of you with video editing skills at home, if you could somehow edit Raheem Sterling running into a clip from Jurassic Park or something, the, the, the Google, the that. Google lack so, of internet thing, um, the little dinosaur. If you could put him in that, that'd be amazing. <laughs> I've forgotten about the Google lack of internet thing. That is, yeah, yeah good show. All right, um, one last thing on the match then, really, um, so we can go and live our lives. Um, I have this question around. So I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna debate the relevance of the tactics. I've already said I actually agree with how we approached the game. I thought it was logical. Um, I'm not gonna criticize it, but what I am gonna say and introduce as a concept is, why does the moment that you choose to have a go? A team. So, you, so what we do, and I think most people would agree, is we're trying to stay in the game against Man City. So, ideally, first forty-five minutes, we're trying to keep it nil-nil. We're trying to keep it as nil-nil as long as we can, and then have a go at some point. And generally speaking, have a go for the last ten minutes or so. My point is, if you're going to have a go for ten minutes, that ten minutes can be at any point during a game, right? And then, then you can drop back to your system. In fact, why would you not want it to be when you're fresh right at the start of the game? Or why would you not want it to be five minutes at the end of one half, five minutes at the end of the other half or whatever? And and it also goes to the point of we, we, we can see the, the, the sort of di, the, the dilemma really in, in the way we played this game because we upped the pace and intensity, made a few changes. Luca gets the opportunity to, to score what I think FYP described as a 22-yard penalty, which I thoroughly enjoyed. Um, but you, then you you can't help but think, well, what if we did that sooner? But you potentially have that answer at the same time because we were chasing the game and we conceded the third. So do you see what I mean? There's a whole host of stuff there that has you asking that question. But for me, I'd just like to see us pick a pick a different point to have a go at the the opponent if we're going to play this way. I do wonder if the the sort of pre-game press hysteria about Palace being the team that can stop Man City winning and talk of how it happened last year and all that kind of stuff got to them a little bit because it did seem like the occasion got to them and once they'd scored the second I I, I can't say that it was a Hodgson changing tactic it was the players went well we're 2-0 down um why don't we just go forward a bit and and to be fair the when people have said why don't we just do that from the start? Well, we conceded one of the simplest goals as we went forward when they were three on two against us at the end. So likelihood is we might have lost five or six. Um, but 
it did seem like the occasion, the team, everything got to Palace a little bit more than otherwise would have happened. And and maybe that, that sort of period of play might have come more than once in the game. Yeah, for sure. I understand that. That's, that's, that's a good way of putting it. Um, but, you know, listen, I'm just asking the questions. Um, certainly don't have all the answers. All right. So um, I suppose we better give a quick shout to who, who we thought was Palace's best player for me. Juan Bissaka once again. Who do you think, Dior? Um, I, I talked about Benteke. I think I'm going to go to Benteke. Um, this is, I know many people won't support my decision, um, but considering what he was given, I, f- I felt like he'd done a brilliant job. And yeah, Benteke for me. Mike, what you got? Mm, yeah, I'm not going to go Benteke. Um, <laughs> I, I felt like he, he played his role, but um, I think we needed somebody to maybe just push them a little bit more, do some darting runs, that kind of thing. Um, I'd go Wan-Bissaka as well. I thought Maya played well when he came on and pushed forward nicely. Uh, but there's no point going into the Maya debate again, I guess, is there? No. Yeah, I'll go with Wan-Bissaka. Oh, don't go Wan-Bissaka. <laughs> That's just... I can go Wan-Bissaka as well. Uh, well oh, I don't know. The only, every, every time I, I sort of watch a game that we play, and I, I do wonder what it would be like to have another Wan-Bissaka at left-back. Just and, and that's I'm not trying to dig out PVA, but he's not had the best of seasons. And I just it just shows you the value of actually having someone who can defend one on one as well as Juan Pesaka does. So oh dear. That would be that would be my first port call in the summer, I have to say. Did you guys did you guys see what Dean Sauna said about yeah. Juan Pesaka? He said this <laughs> you've got to be able to defend if you want to play for a top six club. He said that about Juan Bissaka. I just, the, oh, the I statistically I best that. defender in Europe, you know, he's got to be able to defend. <laughs> Cheers, Dean. <laughs> what? Why, why, tell me tell me Dean Saunders, why is it again that you're not managing a football club right now? The, the st- this, yeah, the statistically best pundit in Europe, <laughs> Dean Saunders. <laughs> <laughs> well, what a way, yeah. what a way to end the show. So, thank you very much to Pudders for producing uh, with Sam holding his hand uh, via the internet. Uh, cheers to D- <laughs> cheers to Dr. I don't know what I'm saying sometimes. Cheers to Dr. and to Mike uh, for being my co-presenters today. Thank you very much, everybody who got in touch. Um, of course, check out the Love Sports Show. It'll be live uh, Tuesday, seven till nine pm, um, and of course, the preview show will be looking ahead to. The game we play against a team. Arsenal, Arsenal, there you go. There you go. I'd almost shut that out of my brain. So check that out. Uh, usually drops around. But either Wednesday or Thursday. I think it'll be Thursday this week with uh, Sam standing in for producer Billiam. So uh, check all that out. Subscribe, everything. Five-star ratings as you go. Uh, thanks very much. We'll be back next week. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNuggets share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.